and for scientists it is unequivocal. Humans are to blame. All this is entirely consistent with predictions and repeated warnings. The only surprise is the speed of the change. Climate change is here, it is terrifying, and it is just the beginning. The era of global warming has ended, the era, the era of global boiling has arrived. The air is unbreathable, the heat is unbearable, and the level of fossil fuel profits and climate inaction is unacceptable. We see what's happening, which is quote-unquote Bidenomics are failing the American people. But what people in Washington are not focusing on enough is what actually is Bidenomics? Bidenomics essentially is fascism, a kind of national socialism where we have government bureaucrats and, and, and politicians partnering and colluding with these massive corporations and the ultra rich to make these business deals, uh, picking winners and losers that serve their own self-interest and the interests of the power elite at the cost of the well-being of the American people. Well, it's not gonna alleviate it right heat problem right now. But we also have a number of programs to do everything from uh, allow people to have the ability to get help to literally paint the roofs white, to uh, change their, the, their, their, their windows and doors to get tax credits for doing it so heat doesn't, so uh, air conditioning doesn't escape. To be able, there's a whole bunch of programs that are out there that as we get through the heat wave, that we're, well, as we get by this worst part, that we're able to invest in the communities to keep it from happening as badly next time it occurs. You don't understand, I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody instead of a bum. This is what I am. Let's face it. And welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 141 here on July 28th. And I am your co-host, Tom Pyle. And I'm Mike McKenna, just boiling, just boiling at this point. Boiling. <laughs> it's the era is over. The Could have been a contender, but instead I'm boiling in climate change. That's it. That's my All life. All right. So, of course, the first clip is our esteemed UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, who is warning us of unbreathable air and yeah. unbearable temperatures to come. Yeah. Look, I'm not a big fan of the British. I think we all know that. But um, I, it, what was the point of beating the Spanish in the Spanish Armada in, in 1588 if we still got to listen to guys like that? I mean, <laughs> I mean, seriously, what, what the hell's the point of military victories if you got to listen to that nonsense? It boiling. The uh, era of global boiling. <laughs> I don't think global boiling is going to work. I mean, have, you know, that they've, of course, changed it, you know, how, sure. how times, right? Sure. So I, I got a question for you. This is a serious question. I've been <laughs> thinking about it for the last couple of days. I've been listening to the whole, you know, weather thing getting conflated. I'm like, at what point does this just become parody? Like the whole thing is just a parody of itself. I, I don't know if we haven't already reached that or not I climate mean, boiling climate boiling we have like, uh i guarantee old antonio said that from the air-conditioned comfort of an office somewhere right so probably said it's 68 degrees so we had a thing in the pipeline yesterday about germany and support for climate action it has pummeled yeah. it's like literally like a third of what it was like four years ago Oh yeah, sure. Um, well, because everybody, because everybody's I'm starting. Thinking, sorry, by the way, but we have one more day, hopefully, of of construction in our house. So if you hear some knocking and pinging, that's what that is. Um, anyway, the I'm what I'm saying is save the stop the you know those folks who are putting their hands on the glue in their hands to the asphalt and the highways and stuff. I'm starting to wonder if they're yeah. they're not funded by you know big oil or something right <laughs> they're actually really helping the you know move public sentiment in the opposite direction of what they're trying uh -huh. to achieve yeah so, that's it anyway. all right 
So Tulsi, I mean, I, you know, she's now basically a Fox Betty, right? Like she's, I don't know what's going to happen to her uh, or what she wants to do with her life. But I thought that was a pretty damn good definition of Bidenomics. I mean, yeah. I've been trying to crystallize it, uh, you know, in my head. Um, and obviously it, it was for a, a, a specific audience, but I think she pretty much nailed it. It, it is, in fact, the union of big government with big business and um, the folks at risk, as always, are the taxpayers and or customers. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And then uh, this this white roof thing, it's a nice day for a white roof. Sorry, I had to throw that in. OK, what? Our, our founding fathers, they could not have envisioned any of this garbage. I mean, like, what what role and responsibility does the federal government have to pay people to paint their roofs white? Shut up, Tom. It's just, it's insane. Like, the the level of micromanagement going on <laughs> is why do you wicked. Pick, it's wicked. Why do you pick this one to call out? Like, you know what? Call out the gas stoves or the water yeah. heaters or any of that I mean, other I stuff. Now, been, but now I realize, I, I realize those are sub, you know, those are those are federal statutes and all that other stuff. But seriously, at what point do you just say, "What do you guys? What do you care? What? Why are you involved in this question?" Yeah, it's totally insane. It's totally insane. It's completely. So anyhow, insane. Uh, and I threw that little Marlow thing in there. You'll you'll figure it out later. So, all right. What announcements do you have, sir? Um, I have a couple, but uh, I want you to go first. A couple. All right. I will go first. I'm going to give a shout out real quick to two of our longtime and faithful listeners. Um, I, 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 um, I value their insights when they feel free to share them with me. Um, uh, Frank Cadillac in Houston, Texas. Um, the, the, I've said this before, I'll say it again, the guy who understands the LNG markets in the Atlantic Basin better than any other human being on the planet, and Kelly Raymond um, in uh, D.C. So those are, those are my only shout-outs for the day. So I uh, wanted to agree with, I think you answered uh, a question from our listener about the appropriation stuff and whether um, the uh, Senate agreeing to plus up the the defense and everything else blows a hole in the debt ceiling provisions yes the answer is yes but then your your specific response to her was that they actually put in a provision and i did not know this so thank you in the debt ceiling bill that basically gave them permission to blow yeah. up the debt ceiling deal yeah by but... excluding emergency supplementals so there yeah. you go yeah so, yeah and and i would well, go ahead. Well, you know what? I, I I might as well just take that as a as a as a departure point, right? The the news of the week is um, the Senate passed the NDAA, um, the National Defense Authorization Act, before they got out of town last night. Eight hundred eighty six billion dollars, same number as the House, but with none of the provisions. Yeah. Um, so we're heading we're heading towards some conflict on that. But um, what what struck me is is that the eight hundred eighty six billion number stuck, right? Just remember, for your elected officials, I don't know how to say this any nicer than I'm just about to, for these for your elected officials, they care about the numbers. Most of them don't really care about the other provisions. So, anyway. Well, how's that going to end, though? I mean, what, what is the House actually going to get out of that, of uh, all their, their riders on that? The House will get some. They'll get some. I don't know what, but they'll get something. Uh, okay. we're, well, let's we're, do a little research, figure out, let's game it out. We got, we got a whole month, ladies and gentlemen, the Congress is out until after Labor Day. You are safe yeah, uh, from tyranny. Uh, and uh, I don't think that, that the president is, is uh, able to do any recess appointments. So no radical or crazy people are going to get uh, not, you know, uh, recess appointed either. So, uh, enjoy the rest of your summer because, gosh, I know we will. Um, can, can I make one more appointment, but uh, announce before we go? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
this is a little odd, but it's um, I, I had a couple of uh, had a couple of friends testifying in front of the Senate uh, Wednesday, right? One in front of Senate Budget, one in front of Senate Energy, both on transmission and permitting. I want to say something that I I would not think I would ordinarily say. Um, Alex Hergot was a te- was a witness in front of Senate Budget, right? Which is Sheldon Whitehouse's climate change tour. Yeah, and when when specifically asked by Tim Kaine, like what would improve permitting. I want to give Alex Hergott, who runs the Permitting Institute, full credit because he gave the truth. He said, we are going to have to open up the Clean Water Act, the Marine Mammal Protection Act, um, the Endangered Species Act, and the National Environmental Protection Act if we have any real hope of improving permitting. He says, and he went on to explain that he got why everybody was incentivized not to do that, but he said, without it, we're going to be we're going to be um, subject to measures that you know are good in and of themselves, but are not sufficient. It was a very good answer from um, from Alex, right? Who I have not hesitated to um, to say contrary things about, but I just yeah. he 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 got it right spot on, and I wanted to alert everybody to that fact. He he it was it was as good an answer as any I've ever heard. Yeah, you see, we here at the Unregulated Podcast, we don't just, I mean, we call it like we see it, right? Good or bad. Uh, we, we don't have axes to grind here. Well, <laughs> sure we do. What the hell are you talking about? And lots of axes to grind. Well, we're truth tellers, man. We, we call it out. If, they, if someone's, you know, I agree with you. I've uh, been on the other side of a lot of the discussions about the direction Alex uh, has gone. In, uh, it, it, it was a great was answer. He it was a great answer. You did a good job in testimony. I'm told Alex is too, right? I, I, I texted him right afterwards. I'm like, that was great. So I just wanted to say that in public as well. So um, I know we're kind of not following format here, but, you know, did you know that, uh, did you see the Wall Street Journal piece about Chucky, uh, Chucky Schumer's uh, edict or, uh, or dicta- dictates to FERC? Yeah, I did. So just for our audience, just check out the Wall Street Journal, uh, July 26. Schumer wants basically FERC is ordering FERC to do uh, all this strong man's, you know, transmission planning and, and, and stuff like that. Right. Well, dude, you, you are the, a person who is running a legislative body yeah. <laughs> that is supposed I, I, to be doing that stuff like Bring it to the floor for a damn vote. These people just funny. drive me absolutely nuts. Had exactly the same sentiment. I saw the letter and I, I may have forwarded to friends of mine at the journal. Um, but, um, I was struck by its weakness. I'm like, it was an incredibly weak thing to do. And I was just like the majority leader. Usually you don't send letters to, independent regulatory agencies that are on your side, you just pick up the phone and call them and say, I want you to do this, this, and this. And usually yeah, well, they do you it. know what it is. It's like, it's like, we're not going to end up getting permitting. So here's my bone to the greens. Right. So I, I guess I just, I don't understand. If I was the majority leader, I would have never signed something like that. Never in a million years. So did anyone bring up the fact that the, the greenies are going to have a really tough time getting permitting reform and figuring out, how to carve out or prevent oil and gas from getting said permitting reform, because that's one of their other big challenges, right? They're not going to be able to support anything that the oil and gas guys benefit from. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It came up in two, in two, right. Uh, Senator Barrasso and Senator Kane both mentioned it. Right. And the funny, the thing is, the interesting thing is Senator Whitehouse didn't mention it in Senate energy, Senator Manchin and I'm sorry, Senator Manchin and Senator Barrasso, in Senate Energy mentioned it, um, and, and had and had a fairly and so did Hickenlooper. So so did Senator Hickenlooper, right? Um, and I give I give John full credit too, right? John is a is a could be a good senator if he was from someplace other than Colorado because he's actually pretty pretty moderate as far as as Democrats go. Um, everybody gets it, everybody gets it, but no one's going to be willing to do what what Alex and and I and you understand is going to be necessary. You're going to have to make changes to the underlying statutes. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I've written it a bunch of places. I'll say it, you know, here. We're about five years away 
because it's going to take the environmentalist about five years to figure out that you can't actually build anything um, that that we're not that that those of us on this side of the permitting problem are not making that up we're not hysterical we're not insane you know we're not money grubbers we're just like that 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 our our analysis of the permitting process pathologies try saying that three times fast um our analysis is in fact right right you got to make fundamental changes but they're not they don't believe that now and they're not going to believe it for five, five or six more years until they actually start getting projects that get they go crossways and then they'll be like hey those guys were right so uh, i'm looking forward to the day when uh, what's his name when like jason grumet or somebody calls me up and says hey you might have been right about this I'm like yeah maybe well five years is far too late because we're already boiling so i don't know <laughs> i don't think it's gonna matter anyway so let's just well, live our lives what i loved about the journal piece to kind of cycle back on that is they tagged it immediately as a two and a half trillion dollar tax on red states i was yeah. just like i you know i had been kind of wandering around looking for that kind of clarity and you know like like always the journal's board just like here you go here's the answer here's the clarity you're looking for it's two, two and a half trillion dollars that's a lot of damn money yeah it is totally so Anyway. Uh, okay, so one announcement for me, I uh, survived the rapids of the mighty Colorado River. Uh, me and the family had a nice road, uh, trip out west and got to float down the river for about a full day and a half-ish, three quarters of a day. Uh, it was really great. It was hot. I'm not going to lie. It was hot. I don't think it was boiling, uh, but... Uh, you know, we, we stayed cool because the river is like a nice 60, 65 degrees. And uh, the kids got to sleep out, out in this, uh, off the river and got to see the stars and all that good stuff. And they all thumbed up that they would do it again. So I think it was a victory overall. Did they, did they let you get out of the boats and jump into the river at some points? Yeah, yeah. We had a nice side hike uh, along this, uh, you know, fountain, like, a you know, the fountain coming down. And then we had a couple spots where we could jump off some rocks and stuff like that, where there was some natural eddies that kind of kept us from floating away. So it was nice. very fun. Nice. Yeah. Absolutely. Always so. wanted to do it. Super envious. Um, okay. This day in history in 1914, sir, 1914. July 28th, 1914. Uh, somebody declares war on France, England, Russia, or Germany. Yeah. I'm not yeah. Sure that, so this started the cascade. That's this right. First declaration was Austria Hungary declaring war on Serbia. Okay. Which then, of course, which Russia then of course, declared war on Austria Hungary, right? That's right. And then Germany uh, was asked to get involved. It was just the cascade. Like, that's right. I knew it several, several, several declarations of war against several different European nations. Uh, and that thus began uh, World War One in its official capacity. Let me just jump in here real quick and point out some that the the this war was entirely preventable. World War One, and um, George Washington was right. You know, stay away from the Europeans because they're just bad news. They're just bad news. And you know what? A hundred years on, they're still bad news, gang. They haven't gotten any better. Yeah, and this is why I don't understand why one part of our politics, one party and uh, and their boosters, if you will, want to be more like Europe. Just go, just, just go over cheapers. there. Yeah, exactly. Like we already Europe. there's there's already part of the globe that looks like what you want it to look like. Go, and they need people, just so go. just and go. Leave me alone, exactly. Seriously. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. All right. Uh, in um, so so that's the one I'm going to get for this you, this day in history. Go ahead. Yes, Go ahead. You, of course. You'll get. You might get one more. This one uh, all right. be gettable too. This was in 1868 here uh, on this side of the pond in 1868. 1868. Yes. Sir. July July 20 July 20 July 28th 1868. Huh? Yeah. Boy. So uh, it has to do with what happened prior to 1868 in our history, uh, and it was 
an amendment to our uh, Constitution. And the Fourteenth Amendment, really? Yes, sir. It was adopted on this day in. It took that long. It took it's that the worst long. Of, it's the worst amendment ever. Just it so you know, was granted citizenship to all persons born or naturalized in the United States. Um, officially adopted into the Constitution on this day, um, uh, and Secretary of State. William Seward issued the proclamation certifying the amendment. And pray mm -hmm. tell why it's the worst. Go ahead. Because I think the 17th is the worst, but go I'm ahead. Sorry. Oh, the direct election? The direct election of U.S. senators. I think it's the same, worst. Same, same direction. Same direction. Um, yeah, it, it led directly to expansion of the federal government to all facets of our lives. You want to you you get agitated about the federal government and gas stoves? You want to take a look at the Fourteenth Amendment because it's what it's what essentially made the federal government preeminent to the states. I mean, the Civil War did, but the Fourteenth Amendment legitimized it. Maybe I should say it that way. And we're going to have a conversation at some point in this country about birthright citizenship, and that's what, that originated in the Fourteenth Amendment as well. So, all right. So, 1954 on this day, uh, 1954, July 28, 1954. Willie yes. Mays first. Willie Mays. Willie no, Mays it's not started. sports. Damn it! Go you back to the clips. Go back to the clips. Oh, Marlon Brando. Uh, Marlon Brando appeared in On the Waterfront. The premiere of On the Waterfront. On the Waterfront was released on this day in 1954, directed by Aaliyah Kazan, who is uh, also somewhat controversial. I understand. Marlon Brando's most I, one of his most iconic performances also featured carl malden lee cobb rod steiger and debuting as the lead female role eva ava marie saint yeah, marie saint yeah the most could have been somebody the, the 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 movie i encourage you all to see it but you need to understand what it is the movie was a rebuke to communists in hollywood Right. Because the communists in Hollywood were attacking people who were naming names. And Kazan said, you know what? I've seen this before. I've seen this. I know what this looks like. So I'm not going to come down this communist road with you boys. It is a testament to the power of an individual speaking against the mob. And in Kazan's telling, he's the individual in the mob of the communists in Hollywood. It's a great movie. It is it's a great movie. It's it's, it's better when you know it's better when you know the context of it because, like I said, it's a it is a powerful political statement. And it's what now? Seventy years old, almost seventy years old, and it stands. It stands. All right, uh, Powell strikes again. This is from Reuters uh, on Wednesday. Fed lifts rates. Powell leaves door open to another hike in September. Federal Reserve raised interest rates by a quarter of a percentage point on Wednesday, and Fed Chair Jerome Powell said the economy still needed to slow and the labor market to weaken for inflation to quote-unquote credibly return to the U.S. Central Bank's 2% target. The Fed's 11th in its last 12 meetings set the benchmark overnight rate in the 5.25 to 5.5 zero percent range a level last seen just prior to the 2007 housing market crash and which has not been consistently exceeded for about 22 years yeah um our friends uh our friends at the committee to unleash uh Phil Kirpin, the committee to unleash prosperity um <laughs> the committee to unleash the kraken uh, no <laughs> prosperity they they argue that a much better approach would be to take a trillion dollars out of federal spending. I I'm not an economist, so I don't know, but I like that answer better than this continual creep up on the rate increases. Because eventually, eventually the housing market is going to crash on us, and that's going to be bad for everybody. Yeah. So so what you know, my interest rate that I was thinking was temporary is starting to look really good at this point. Yeah. Uh, for my new mortgage. But, uh, you know, Powell was walking this line, right? He's like, oh, the ideal situation would be that we cool things down to the point where it won't quite be a recession uh, and we'll soft land at 2%. But 
Veronica Clark, an economist at City, said, quote, we would still think that you need a recession or some deeper slowing at some point in order to get inflation back to 2%. So if we're not having a recession in the next year, inflation is not back to 2% either. So you're still dealing with high inflation and you still need to slow things down more. This lady isn't going to be impacted by a recession. Well, I mean, that, that, she ain't that, impacted that, by, you know, of course, the, that's the, the thing with all of these guys. Look, that's the thing with all of these guys. They don't they don't you know, anybody who's a professional economist is making bang. They're not like you said, they're not affected by any of this. They're playing with their with monopoly money almost. You need to get Bob Murphy on here to talk about all this. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> I think he, we should get Steve Moore on here to talk about this. Yeah, he's that's the, he's, too. That's he's the guy too. with the alternative so, theory. So, so, and then like, there's all these polls about Biden and, and how like people just aren't, you know, happy and, and they're just, they're miserable and his lowest approval rating more than, than anybody but Carter in modern history at this point in his, in his term. And these, administration people are running around trying to define this binomics which of course they didn't really have tulsi's uh version of it uh, in their <laughs> in their maybe lexicon they to, maybe they need to call her up but like the prices are still more than what people are bringing home that's right that's that's what the situation is yeah and you know that's the terrible None thing of the numbers matter that's right. The terrible thing about being um, terrible thing about being a Republican nowadays is that one sentence is the most important sentence in the campaign, and there's approximately zero chance any of our candidates are actually going to use it. Right? Which is, hey man, when you take inflation into account, your actual wages have gone down. Right? In the last three years, your actual wages have gone down, and that is the fundamental. Econo fundamental and most important economic fact of life for everybody in this country. And there's, like I said, there's zero chance the Republicans are going to actually say it. Right. It's just, it's just tragic, right? Because it's super easy for everybody to understand. You know, yeah, you've gotten a 15% raise, but bad news, inflation's been 18% in the last three years. So you really gotten a, you really got nicked. And gas prices are going back up. I mean, yeah, it, this is it, all like legit, like pain. Yeah. Legit pain. Yeah. So. I, you know, I feel bad for Powell because he's trying to fix a problem he didn't make. Um, but I I, I kind of wonder. I, I, I kind of yeah. wonder. And you also have to wonder, do we really want to? I mean, this sounds counterintuitive, but do we really want 2% inflation? Yeah, if, mean, it's gonna, the, if the cost is a recession. Yeah. Like, like where, where do they pick 2% at? You know, I, I like, I like the, the 2% number is a little bit like net zero. It's it's a number the experts picked, the geniuses picked. Um, you know, the people actually had nothing to do with it. The voters had nothing to do with it. So you're like, why? Is it, what if it's three percent? Is that the end of the world? That you know, or two and a, two and a quarter? Is that the end of the world? Or what if we wind up with one seven one and three quarters? Is that the end of the world? I mean, what's the magic about two? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, the the magic is is not to force people into a recessionary situation right oh, yeah I, I mean come on i mean anyway, I, I, any well, more on this i'm i'm uh well i was just gonna say i think i think i think that's where the fed's ultimately going right they want the they want to have a a smallish crash in the housing market and a shallow recession that's what's going to fix their pro their problem certainly not our problem yeah absolutely all right well, look the Hunter deal is derailed, dude. <laughs> did you, I did not see this coming. All right. Yeah, I, I neither did I. It, it, okay, um, so I'll just set up. This is from sure. AP. This is from AP. U.S. District Judge Mary Ellen Norieka. Norieka, Nori I assume. Norieka, an appointee of, of course, they had to throw this in, a former president, Donald Trump, told both sides to file written briefs addressing her concerns within 30 days. Among other things, uh, the judge took issue with a provision in the agreement on the gun charge that said she would have created a role for her where she would determine if he violated the terms. The lawyer said they wanted to, her to serve as a neutral fact finder in determining if a violation happened. But Noriega said that it is the Justice Department's job, not the judge's. 
The, this is the one, though, right here. Hunter Biden's lawyers and the Justice Department also disagreed on the extent to which the agreement gave him immunity from future prosecution. Prosecutors said Wednesday their investigation was ongoing and that the agreement protecting him from other potential charges was limited only to certain offenses over a certain time frame. Hunter Biden's lawyers said that it was broader than that and that um, that that would basically shelter him from future prosecution, period, end of story. So he pled not guilty and they're back to the drawing board. Could be over, could be done and, and, and fixed in 30 days, but did not no. see this one coming, my friend. No, neither did I. I would say, I would say two things. First off, um, huh. two things. First, the way the media has portrayed this, and I want to especially point out Axios's coverage. Axios is usually fairly good, but they managed to write 300 words on this and never mentioned. Um, they focused on how the judge had lost control of the courtroom, which is not actually what happened, and managed never to say exactly why the whole thing blew up. The actually the the, the thing blew up on one specific thing, and that is. Was he going to be subject to FARA, the um, Foreign Agent Registration Act? Mm -hmm. Was he going to be subject to FARA charges later on? Right. And that's what Justice said. Well, we're still ongoing. So, yeah. And his own guy said no. So, that's the second thing about it, right? First off, the media should be embarrassed by their coverage of it. Second thing is the lawyers on both sides. I've never seen anything or even heard anything like this where you walk in front, you walk into a courtroom and you don't have understanding about the, the basic and fundamental terms of an agreement. It, it's like, it's like Keystone cops time in there. I mean, they're hopeless. And the other thing of course is the judge did what she should have done. She goes, Hey, does it cover this? Does it cover this? Does it cover this? Yeah. And these guys, instead of saying, hey, Your Honor, can we take 10 minutes and go sidebar it? They literally had disagreements in open court. I, I, yeah. it, it's just like nothing I've ever heard of. It, it's you'd think you'd think the son of the president of the United States, who's like got all this money from the Ukrainians and probably a bunch more from yeah, the Chinese right. and whatnot. Well, no, but no, no, no. He's got he, millions from his artwork too. Don't forget. Right. You, I mean, so, an artist, an artist of his scale and stature. Who, who, who's, you, who is the smartest man Joe Biden knows. You figure you get some decent lawyers. Uh, it. I. I and I'm sure. President Trump, there are plenty of lawyers who would love to help Hunter Biden, right? Well, you know, I mean, that, the, the thing is, is that the reason why they have to immunize him on the FARA stuff is because it's going to directly implicate the president. Well, it's going to it's going to also bring up the China deals and everything. That's what else. I'm saying. It's going to so, directly yeah. implicate the president of the United States. And once you get into that. <laughs> Then it get you know the, the the chances of that getting bad are are exponentially worse than the gun charges, the drug charges, the hooker charges. You know that that that, that yeah, listen to that. Listen to what we're saying right sure. now. Sure, <laughs> substantially worse than the gun charges, the hooker charges. Like this is just insane. The media is just insane for the way that they. Well, the the good news about I mean the good news about the court thing. There's a bunch of good news about it. The good news about it from a justice point of view is. We're actually going to have some some justice administered to a to Hunter Biden, right? That's thing one. The thing uh, two is, and this is bad for the president, right? This is this is going to keep playing on in the background. And you know yeah. what? You know what? Unlike um, unlike hey, I I had some classified documents, you know, sitting in my um, sitting in my closet, or hey, I talked too much at a dinner one night. You know, taking money from Ukrainians, taking money from the Chinese, you, you get a situation where the pre looks like the president took money from the Ukrainians or the Chinese. That's some very serious stuff right there. Very serious stuff. Ten percent for the big guy. I, I you, you, you know what my grandmother used to say. She said, the truth will out. The truth mm. will find you out. You know, the only question is going to happen on this side of. Of the grave or the other one, but eventually it's gonna find it gonna come out. Well, we'll see. To be continued, the the the, the saga uh the, the saga it's, lives on. 
it's and here I thought we were so brilliant with our, you know, with our Al, Al Pacino clip close, you know, settling all the family that business. Family business. So. I've been saying, I've been saying for a year, for a year that it was going to get set on a plea deal. How in the world could I have guessed that justice was going to be so hopeless? Yeah. Well, we've been on that Jack for a while. Should we do a little energy and uh, uh, energy lightning round? I've got a few things, but I don't want to dwell on them all. So go ahead. First of all, I want your comment on this uh, because I don't think they've, they address the judicial, um, not subject to judicial review thing. SCOTUS revives Mountain Valley Pipeline from e, e News. The Supreme Court has accepted a request from the developer of the Mountain Valley Pipeline to restart work on the embattled project. In a short order issued Thursday, the justice granted an emergency application from Mountain Valley LLC to toss out two quote-unquote extraordinary stay orders issued by the fourth u.s circuit court of appeals these orders temporarily froze construction on the project bada, 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 bang. so uh mountain valley is back on and scotus is the one who did it yeah i read this the, the order is a paragraph it's it's literally three sentences it says we you know we vacate the stays uh, in the fourth circuit and we re we don't reach you know we don't reach any question about mandamus um, but we, you know, we, we, um, if you guys want to bring us a petition on mandamus, we'll listen to it. Right. You, you know, we, so we, we reserve the right to, to focus yeah, on that to pick day. it up. Yeah. 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 But I, I mean, I'm still, I'm still, I still don't understand how Supreme court could let that sentence and that, and that legislation go. Well, maybe they'll maybe, address it. Well, maybe they figure out, you know, no one else is going to do it. So I wouldn't have to worry about it. And the next person that does it will smack that guy down. I see. Well, well, maybe see. not. I, I don't. I'm. You know. I, I do be. hope that it doesn't come to this, and it might not. Uh, this is from Bloomberg. Uh, this was this morning and or yesterday afternoon. FERC boss says more gas projects needed to help grid reliability. Uh, Willie Phillips is committed to speeding up approval process. U.S. energy regulators should approve more pipelines to meet the country's needs and supply the power grid with fuel. The head of FERC said Thursday, I'm committed to getting projects that are needed for reliability. Comments followed an agency meeting in which six proposed gas projects were struck from the agenda. A move Phillips blamed on at least one other commission's objections. I, gee, I wonder who that was. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Chairman Phillips is right as rain on this stuff. He's as good a chairman as we've had in probably, I don't know three, four, five years at the commission. Um, and he's committed to um, getting stuff done. And that's, you know, he said that when he came in and that's been the guiding star and that's been how the organization has been run. Like it should have been run. Like it has been yeah. run before. So like it should I do. Run. I know you're like, whatever, you're going to roll your eyes, but I do want to focus on this because Daniel Moore still refuses to get this right. In the article, he says, Phillips, who is serving as acting chairman as Congress deliberates whether to fully appoint him. That's not right. Vying to set himself apart from that reputation. He, he is the chairman. There is an order by Joe Biden that designated him chairman. And I don't, I have foiled FERC for the order. They won't give it to me. Right. But everything I is going to get the letter. I know it's a semantic thing, but it's no, driving no, no. nuts because it's stupid, stupid, stupid stuff. And I, I applaud uh, the chairman for asserting uh, himself as as in here is this quote. We had projects that have been waiting for years. When I took over as chairman, he noted, we've accelerated the process. These reporters are, are not either they don't care or they just don't. They're just lazy. One or the other. At a certain point, you can't. At a certain point, it's intentional, right? You get the guy's chairman. There's no such thing as acting chairman at FERC. I, it's, it, it, you get designated chairman. You don't have an acting. You're chairman. That's it. It's ridiculous. And Willie was chairman from the second he was chairman, and it is ridiculous. And you know, the other thing is, I'm not a big Joe Manchin fan. I think everybody knows that. But the one of the good things he did here was was make sure that Willie was chairman and has been protected as such. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, and this is obviously the best uh, scenario in this con in this uh, administration for for FERC commission because 
two two with a chairman who's reasonable uh, is a pretty damn good deal. And this is you uh, know in in no way should anybody be in any hurry to have additional for commissioners. Just say clean, that right now. This is from AP News because we're pouncing and seizing. Yeah, clean energy push in New Jersey, comma elsewhere met with warnings. The government is coming for your stove. Uh, Wayne Perry, P-A-R-R-Y, the author of this report. New Jersey is pushing an ambitious agenda to move its more than 9 million residents away from natural gas and gasoline to heat their homes and power their cars in favor of electricity to do the job of both. But like many other places in the country, the moves designed to lessen the harmful impact of burning fossil fuels on the planet's climate are garnering significant opposition from foes who warn that the government is coming to take away your stove and your car. <laughs> that's how the article starts. Okay, first off, that's a hell of a lead. It's yeah. Just, so the backstory is... Second, uh, off the foes, second off, the foes are right, just so you know. Sec, uh, the, the utility... The utility regulators approved, quote, a series of decarbonization measures designed to incentivize buildings to switch from natural gas to electric, yeah. et cetera. Participation yeah. is strictly voluntary, according to the chairman of the Board of Public Utilities, who lashed out against misinformation and lies being circulated by his opponents. So New Jersey must be a that. terrible place. New Jersey must be a terrible place to live. Can you, can you imagine living in a state where everybody's angry all the time? So anyways, we're, we're just disseminating lies and misinformation. And misinformation. Don't forget misinformation. No one's coming for your gas for anyone's gas stove. The governor said, no one is walking into anyone's kitchen. No one is going to be forced to do anything in any way. Okay. So if we're not, then what you putting the rules out? Well, of course, that's actually wrong because you are going to be not allowed to title a gas-powered vehicle in yeah. New Jersey in 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 twelve years. So yeah, so no, twelve seven. I think it's twenty thirty-five is his number. I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, thanks, Phil. Ladies and gentlemen, just as your weekly reminder that Phil Murphy, the governor of New Jersey, is in fact a former Goldman Sachs um, operative partner. So everything that he does, you need to look through the. That lands right. He's thinking about how to make money for his former firm and probably future firm. Okay, I got a couple more. Mike, I heard and was told that wind uh, is the 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 cost of wind is plummeting and it's cheaper than all for other forms of electricity. It absolutely is. So Can we talk about New from, Jersey and wind? No, no. This is from Energy Monitor. Uh, the cost of a wind turbine has increased by thirty eight percent in two years. Wind turbine costs have gone up because the seven main metals for wind have gotten 93% more expensive since January 2020. And our good friend Daniel crunched the numbers. The cost of wind turbines uh, on a relative basis is the same as it was 10 years ago. Okay. First off, I want to thank Mark Mills for doing his usual great work on the metals composition of the energy transition. Um, second off, I want to point out, let me cycle back to New Jersey for a second, right? The Orsted guys who are supposed to build this offshore wind um, development for New Jersey, they did, but only after they managed to swipe all the money that was intended to go to ratepayers for it, right? There's a subsidy for ratepayers for the um, offshore. Orsted, I think it's Orsted. I think it's Orsted. Um, the New Jersey legislature routed, rerouted that money to Orsted. Um, so they could make more cash on the offshore development because they weren't going to be able to make the number without it. So in the category of wind is cheap and getting cheaper, yeah, there's a reason why people are renegotiating all their contracts with the offshore wind guys. The offshore wind guys are renegotiating their contracts with the states. So, And, and that it. is at today's level of demand. That's uh, right. But, of course, it, it's – they're not taking away your gas stoves or your cars. Uh, Turns out if we're to do so and force everyone on to uh, electrification of each of said uh, appliance slash vehicle, 
what would that do to generate to demand for electricity in New Jersey? Yeah, I was going to say you get you get to pay your thirty five cents per instead of your fourteen cents per. So welcome to Europe. Like I said, go I go to Europe if you want to live like Europeans. Go. There's go. there's a reason there's a reason why fewer Germans are excited about all this than there used to be. Yeah. <laughs> all right. One more. Uh, this is uh, Ford. Ford. Ford Motor Company? Ford Motor Company lost 72,762 for every EV it sold in Q2. Good lord, you're kidding me, really? This is uh this is numbers crunched by our uh, our partner in crime Robert Bryce on his Substack. Um so he basically crunched the numbers and figured out uh, how much they lost for each EV it sold. Um, they okay. Yeah, I guess confirmed, that's a fairly easy. Yeah. A they confirmed a $1.8 billion operating loss and sold 14,843 EVs. So that's your math. God almighty. Insane, it right? That's terrible because I know General Motors lost about the same. They lost about a billion dollars in your in your EV unit, or like six seven hundred million bucks, something like that, and a billion dollars in their self driving, which I have to assume they're 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 related. Interesting, seventy thousand bucks per, huh? That's yeah. a that's a formula for a that's a winning formula for a car company. Fourteen thousand vehicles. I mean, they want to go. Biden wants us to go from six to sixty percent. In, in how many years? It's, oh, it's, by the way, the rule, uh, I think the the rules are coming out today. I believe that's correct. Yeah. Shocker on a Friday at the, uh, at the, at the, in the heat of the dog days of summer, the, the, they're, the car they're, they're, coming out. So. Yeah. They're, they're so proud of it. They're probably going to put the old guy on a, on a helicopter, not have to, not have him anywhere near the announcement. As long as it's solar powered. That's uh, okay. I, I've got, I don't have anything else on energy. Do you uh, have anything? I can't think of anything. I have the, I have the vague sense that I probably should, but I, I, I can't think of anything. All right. Uh, so I wanted to do a little, a little California love, if you don't mind. Of course. Okay. So uh, California is from Bloomberg, July. This is about a week ago, July 22nd. California looks into the future and sees fewer Californians. Yeah, For the first time, long-run forecasts show population same as now. Most populous state already lost one house seat may shed more. More than a century of long-term population growth in California is, could be over, according to new projections that show the state will have about the same number of people in 2060 as it does today. Forecast releases this week from California Department of Finance's sobering news the country's most populous state, which saw its first ever population decline in 2020 amid an exodus driven by the pandemic and high housing costs. Lower birth rates and aging baby boomers will add to the demographic drag over the coming decade. The department predicts there will be 39.5 million people in the state by 2060. Just three years ago, forecasters were expecting the number to be 45 million and a decade ago, the population was seen as surging to almost 53 million. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I read that story uh, with some great interest, right? Because, you know, I'm, I'm always interested in demographics. I yes. would say I would say this. Everyone's experience with demographic demographers is this. Um, they overestimate population. Yes. So what I'm telling you is, is that. If they think California population in the next 35 years is going to be static, odds are really, really high that it's going to decline. Right. It's going to, it's because, because I'll give you specific reasons why. Because Californians show no interest in solving their housing problem, right? They, they're going to keep zoning things expensively. Um, and well, the, adding to the cost, too. That, that's right. You know, they've they've no interest. people to the put solar panels on their roofs and that's right. They have no, I have gas stoves, even though we're just lying. That's right. So. They have no interest in making it easier to live in the state. And, and, and uh, 
and in that they share they share something in common with the state that used to be the most populous in the country, and that's of course my home state of New York State, right? When I was born, the day I was born, New York was the most populous state in the country. Not anymore. Um, you know, eventually, if you don't care about people living there, guess what? People are going to take the hint and go somewhere else. Um, the other reason why, and this is something we don't talk about much, is we're essentially running out of people to import in this United States. You know, in the hemisphere, um, immigration patterns are such that there are fewer people flowing northward uh, in the hemisphere. And in 10 years, we're probably going to run out of everybody who's good. Everyone is going to want to be here from this hemisphere is going to get here. Other migrants, places like Uganda and other places in Africa, they're not going to come to California. They're going to places like Texas and California. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a, um, you, wait, well, you said not California, you said Texas and California. You mean I'm sorry, Texas, I'm, Texas and Florida. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it, this thing's an alarm bell for the Californians. I'm not sure. And if anybody's listening to it, I get the feeling I'm probably reading it more closely than anybody else. Well, uh, I want to do an, a bolt on because I, I stumbled on this during my research. This is from KTLA which is a yeah uh, Los Angeles affiliate um, CABC affiliate in Los Angeles yeah. Yeah, I think uh, for the third straight years the state of California has experienced the decline in population which we discussed according to the Centro Census Bureau uh, and many of those packing up are heading east uh, are some of the state's wealthiest and a study of IRS migration data by an online real estate portal found that no state experienced a larger loss of tax income from migration than California. The study conducted by myelisting.com found that California lost more than 340 million in 2021 IRS tax res re revenue due to residents moving. Um, Let's see if there's anything. Florida was the big winner in IRS tax income from migration. The study also found the Sunshine State experienced a $12.4 billion increase in tax revenue, according to the study. Florida, Texas, and Arizona are the states getting the most IRS tax benefit from migration. California, New York, and Illinois were the biggest losers. See the pattern? Yeah. Yeah, it, it it's. I mean, it. The mobility of capital, is is pretty. It's not just internationally like mobile. It's it's mobile within regions now. It, it it's pretty impressive, right? You know, people just like, yeah, I'm out of here. Peace out. You take um, a look at this article, uh, listeners. Uh, it'll be in the show notes. It, it lists the top ten. Uh, positive income tax migration. The top ten uh, negative and. With the exception of one state in the negative, uh, they're all D, they're all red, they're all blue, I should yeah. say. And uh, all 10, uh, well, one could be argued as purple. Um, actually, one is bluish too. So one, it's about a one and one. It's about a one to one in terms of blue versus red uh, on the list. So it, it, it's, I mean, the thing is California now for a second. I keep thinking in my head, eventually somebody is going to get elected in California who's not insane. But I just kind of wonder how much, how much. Um, I think it's hard to. It, how difficult would it be for for a, a single governor to uproot everything that's been done? I mean, it just gets so complicated exactly. after a while. You, you, I think we've been talking about this through uh, throughout our 140 now 141 episodes of the unregulated podcast i don't i think we're in for a very long slog here of deep you know blue getting bluer and red getting redder um and then i, I don't know what kind of pulls us out of that right yeah. we talked about the analogies of the, the flip in congress during the civil war you know we're in a bit of a rhetorical civil war these days right between certain states so I, I i don't know how california gets cal becomes like normal again in some way shape or form when you have all these radical sort of you know policies being instituted with with super majorities where there are no diverse opinions the only diversity in opinion is whether you're going to be 
this this far left or way this much further left and consequently on the in the red states there's similar patterns so I don't know. I don't. I don't know where it ends, and I don't know when it ends. I don't know. I don't know. And as far as doing this podcast uh, at that point, that's for sure. Yeah, and you know, and the thing about California is, you know, they're about to have a, another ten or twelve year run of prosperity because of artificial intelligence. Right? It's all going to be based in the Bay Area, but that's going to exacerbate all their fu- underlying fundamental problems: housing prices, income inequality, adult illiteracy, right? The, even even stuff they don't want to talk about overtly, like the length of commutes, right, and the and the chewing up of farmland in the valley because of because of San Francisco sprawl. It, I I you know I worry about California all the time. You can't you can't have a healthy United States without having a healthy California. I don't think it's just too damn big. Yeah, it's it's a it's a, it does it. All this stuff spills over. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it always just, has. It used to be a good thing back in the day when, you know, California had some cool, you know, governors and stuff like that. But anyway, um, I forgot one. I wanted to bring it back up because I thought it was worth um, mentioning. There was a, another uh, cargo ship that is burning uncontrollably right now in the uh, out in the open seas. Um, is this and the there one? The three thousand cars on it. There five were electric. five electrics. Twenty-eight electric cars on this vessel, and the this- fire started quote near one of the EVs, and yeah. it, they don't they don't have have not quite identified the cause of the fire yet. They're not um, gonna. They're not. I'm sure they're not gonna. This is the one where this is the one where where the sailors abandoned ship, right? They jumped over, and one guy died, uh, well, right? We lost one guy already. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this is an all Indian crew. This is this is a sad, sad story. Crew. Yep. So, uh, I, it's, I, it wow. I, you know, they're never going to come up. You, no one's ever going to tell us that it was the electric vehicles. The ship is being cooled to keep it stable. Um, they, it's an, it, it's they can't put the fire out. So it's not really. It doesn't take rocket scientists to figure out how, how the fire is. It's a chemical fire from a battery, basically. I, I, so. I wonder, I wonder, I would love, I had to find somebody in the maritime business because I bet you 50 bucks that they're having trouble getting insured on car shipments because of this stuff. Any, yeah. Anytime you have EVs in an enclosed space, you're going to have trouble getting insured. Garages, yeah. ships. It's the future. Anything. It's, yeah, it's okay. Whatever you say. The future. Thanks, uh, do you do you want to do a Senate update or save it for next week? It's it's the dog days, man. We should probably wrap. Uh, I tell you what, I'll give you the Senate update real quick if you want. All right, uh, let's do it. I was going to uh, get into a little de- detail. Maybe we can do a teaser this week and then flesh it out a little if anyone has the feedback for us. Uh, Kirsten Sinema is underperforming with respect to fundraising in Arizona, which makes you think that um, Democrats might show up better than she does, but probably means the Republicans could win that seat if they could get the right guy. Um, in Montana, Tim Shee's probably going to be the guy. And okay, probably- well, let's stop. Let's not go too fast. Uh, who is the the guy or gal? In, in who is the right guy or gal? Because Carrie Lake is the name that's floating around. Yeah, Carrie Lake would be. Carrie Lake already lost once. The right. voters of voters of Arizona already decided what her what what the answer there is. So I, is it going to be a McSally repeat? I hope not. We'll okay. find out. We'll All find right. out. Uh, right. You know, Montana looks like it's going to be she against um, Tester. That's probably a bad race for Tester. I, I suspect he loses that race. He's going to have trouble with Biden at the top of the ticket anyhow, right? Um, Sherrod Brown's going to be in the same situation in Ohio right, with, with – um, So Rosendale isn't a factor anymore in that I don't race. think he's going to run. I don't think he's going to run. Hub for growth was leaning towards him, right? I, I think he's going to take a pass. I think that's right. how that goes. Um, so you got a CEO aerospace company guy, uh, self-funded. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Um, Another seal too, right? Uh, I think he's a yeah, seal. He's a seal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whatever. All right, go uh, ahead. Know, keep going. Keep going. This is, I'm just the most. A depra- bit. It's the most depressing thing about the current modern day Republican Party. We're all we're all we're all basically um, jock sniffers when it comes to guys who have been in the military. I don't get it. Um, uh, in Nevada, we got um, 
it looks like we're going to have a Republican contest between uh, Jim Marchant and I can't remember the other guy's name. Um, who? We'll Some dude that, named Ro Jeffrey Ross Gunter. No, somebody else. Um, we'll see how that goes. I don't know. I, Sam, I'm Brown, Sam, Sam Brown. Brown. Sam Brown. Yeah, thank okay. you. I'm skeptical about Nevada. I have to be honest with you. The Republicans top end seems to be about 48% there. Um, Jackie Rosen um, is the incumbent who's out. That's right. right. And, you know, she's, yeah. she's, we literally just had this race with somebody similar, right? With, with Cortez yeah. Masto. We, you know, we've literally just had this race. Um, and then, um, uh, what know, about uh what about ohio ohio yeah sherry brown is going to be tough to beat but he's got this is this, he's on the ticket with biden that's going to be a huge problem in ohio right um yeah you know, uh you got to figure ohio is probably plus 10 republican at this point so it doesn't matter who the candidate is it does if the republicans can avoid blowing each other up we probably get a get the right answer and and proceed but i'm not confident right. we're not going to blow blow ourselves up and in pennsylvania um what about you know dave mccormick's gonna win dave mccormick's gonna win the primary dave mccormick's gonna win against bob casey and the only thing that can prevent that is I, the involvement I, yes. of the former president and he I needs was to just, just gonna guess what you were gonna say and and, so. and and finally in west virginia um joe manchin can't beat either of the candidates in west virginia well, who's going to be the candidate, though? That's the question. It doesn't matter. Jim Justice, I mean, unless the world ends. But e yeah. e even if Alex Mooney somehow sneaks in there, Joe Manchin's done in West Virginia. So, And yeah. he knows that, too, right? He, which is why he hasn't announced for re-election. He's not going to renounce yeah. for re-election. So, you know, Republicans go plus five, something like that, depending on the world uh, goes. What, uh, what about Michigan? Is it a long shot? Yeah, of course. Michigan's always a long shot. I mean, I assume uh, John James is going to wind up being our nominee, um, but I'm not. I'm not optimistic not about this. Right? Well, I mean, here's the problem in Michigan, right? Um, whoever it is is going to be on the ticket with the Republican nominee. You know, now if that's Tim Scott or, or Ron DeSantis, sure, maybe you have a chance. But if it's Trump, you know, he, he barely won Michigan once and he lost it you know, once and, you know, got to think he's probably a drag at this point. Not much of one, but you know what? You don't have to be much of one. So uh, election were held tomorrow. Would the Republicans take the Senate? Yeah, I think so. One or and two I, seats. Yeah. I, somewhere between, you know, plus three and plus five, but you know, fortunately, the election is not going to be held tomorrow. So we're not going to know. Yeah. You know, and in the house it's, really 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 dependent on who the nominee is it really is you know trump president trump right his top end number is 48 percent. he's gonna he would be he would cause difficulties in about a half a dozen really bad difficulties in about a half a dozen be, somewhere between five and 15 house seats he he, so he could be he could be the difference it's it's a plausible scenario that the house flips back and the senate flips are yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a mess. Well, especially election. with those, those gerrymandered seats that have to get reversed right? in New York. Yeah. In New York and nowhere else. The other thing that's going to, that, that no one has baked into their, into their cake yet. Certainly I haven't is third parties. We're going to have at least one and probably two legitimate third parties at the presidential level. I have no idea what that's going to mean for the house races. I know it's going to mean something, but I don't know what. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, um, I, I've got one more article. I've been going back and forth about bringing it up, but um, if you don't have anything else, I'm, I might as well just throw it out there. I'm so, done. Yeah. What do you got? All right. So this from the New York post, 38 um, year old Florida manatee dies after high intensity sex with brother. <laughs> Sorry. I'm sorry. Did, uh, did you say Florida manatee? Yes. <laughs> okay, go ahead. A Florida manatee died earlier this year after having too much high intensity sex with his brother. Officials revealed this week. Uh, test results revealed that 38 year old Hugh died in April after succumbing to traumatic injuries. By this, are we reading a story about sexual encounter <laughs> with another large male male manatee at the facility? His brother Buffett. 
Uh, I'm not going to get into the excruciating details. You already gotten into too many details. Basically, <laughs> basically we, these guys, these guys were held in prison and they, they did what. <laughs> Just read the article, Mike. It's, I couldn't stop laughing. Um, is, uh, is, is, is there anything in Florida that isn't completely screwed up? It's this is the official statement. The much longed heightened sexual activity between the two brothers. The only manatees in the aquarium was the first time the pair had been quote unquote observed initiating and mutually seeking interactions from each other. Like I said, we were holding these two guys in prison and they did what prisoners sometimes do. Or you got, you know, I'm sorry, where, where did this happen? Where did this happen? This now? was at the Moat Marine Laboratory and Aquarium in Sarasota, Florida. So ladies, and ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going oh, to say the this humanity. Again. Oh, the humanity. <laughs> I said this before, I'll say it again. Don't move to Florida. Just don't. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So I can end on that note, uh, or I can, well, no, let's, let's end on a high note. Come on. Let's end on a high note. Hold on. Here we go. Okay. Ready? Yeah. We are imperfect. And we must be honest about that to understand then our history, where we've been, and then have a North star in terms of where we must go. We are imperfect. We are imperfect vessels. No cliche escapes from the vice presidential <laughs> speech writing room about that to understand where we've been and where we must go. We need a Venn diagram of where we've been and where we got to go. <laughs> she loves Venn diagrams. Absolutely. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a wrap of the 141st episode of your unregulated podcast. Namaste and RIP, Hugh. Seriously, we're, we're going to miss you. <laughs> we miss you, pal.